0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Praise be to God. Thank you all for coming to Gospel Saving Church. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. 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 So uh anyway, praise be to God. Let's uh start out with a word of prayer. I want to welcome everybody coming from SoundCloud all over the world and and in my home for Gospel Saving Church. This beautiful October eighteenth day in two thousand fifteen. We. Praise God for another beautiful day that we get to gather together and honor Him and talk about His Word. And I'm I'm thankful that I get to stand up here and and talk to you guys more about God's Word and about His salvation and the things of the Bible. So you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, let's pray and ask God to bless our hearts and help us to understand what He has to tell us today. Dear Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord, for every good and perfect gift, Lord, because we know, God, it comes from you. We know that all good and perfect things come down from the Father, from you, from from the Father of lights. Lord, We, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. And we know that this day is even a gift from you. So we praise you and we thank you, dear God, for this day. We praise you and thank you, dear God, that we get to gather together here in McKinney, Texas and have church again today. Lord. Gospel Saving Church, Lord. We love you and we praise you, Lord. We ask you to bless our hearts today, Lord. Help us to understand the things that you have to say to us today by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We know, Lord, that you only teach us, Lord, by your Spirit, Lord. That there is no wisdom that we have according to the flesh except for man's wisdom, Lord. And we don't want man's wisdom today, Lord. We want your wisdom. So, Lord, help us to understand your wisdom, Lord, by your teacher, by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Enlighten us today. Teach us today. And, Lord, I pray if there's any out there... Lord, that are not yours, or they're not walking with you, Lord, or they're not right with you, Lord God, I pray that you would uh, help them, Lord, help them, help them, help them, please help them to get right with you even today. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So if you guys want to be turning to 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 15, we're going to read it, but first, after my thoughts from last week's message, False Teachings and Fables, had crept in. Again, that'd be 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 15. Um, First, my thoughts from last week's message. Uh, First off, I have to start with a small correction. You may be saying, well, what kind of correction, Pastor Ed? Well, someone approached me after last week's service, and they said to me, you know, Pastor Ed, you said that everyone is an apostle. And I did. I sure did say that everyone is an apostle. I got thinking about that word apostle and what it translated out to as sent. And I thought, well, you know, and that's how I got caught up on that. I was like, that's it. Everyone's apostle. That's right. I, that's right. But he, this fellow, this gentleman pointed out to me the fact that the Bible says that there's only some that are actually apostles. So the fact is this. Everyone that is saved Okay, everyone that gets saved becomes a type of an apostle, but not an official apostle by office or by gifting of God's Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so, but just because we're sent by God and Christ to go preach the gospel to all, does not mean that we have this, his specific gifting by his Holy Spirit called an apostle. Paul in Ephesians 4, to 12 says this, And he himself, talking about God and Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and some teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So yes, every person that is saved is sent of God to go preach the gospel to the whole world. But every person that's saved does not have the special Holy Spirit gifting of an apostle or of a pastor or of an evangelist or of a prophet. So we had this little discussion and I realized, wow, I, I did make an error. I got, like I said, I got caught up on that word apostle and sent and so on and so forth. And so I did make an error and I wanted to correct myself, you know, so everybody that's listening doesn't think that everybody's an apostle that's saved. No, everybody that's saved is a saint, the Bible says, but everybody that's saved is not an apostle. But we are told to go to the whole world and preach the gospel. So I apologize. But in actuality, that really ties in well with a, a really quick point that I wanted to make from last week's message, and that's this. How easy is it for false doctrine and fables and such to get into the church? Boy, it is real, real easy. Look at just what happened to me. I missed one detail. That verse out of Ephesians, which, by the way, that was the same church that Timothy, Paul sent Timothy to, to go teach in Ephesus, right? Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. The the letter there to the Ephesians would be to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, the same thing as the letter. So the epistle written to the Ephesians was the same church that Timothy was pastor over. So I missed the one detail of the scripture forgetting that Paul said that some have this gifting, and some have that gifting, and some have that gifting. And look at how easy I made that mistake get. Look at how easy it could have been for me to make up a really a whole new doctrine on that calling every saved person an apostle, because I, I could have done that. If I hadn't had someone, if God hadn't been looking out for me, which I know he does, and someone had pointed it to my attention, and then I realized I was wrong, that that error could have crept into this church really easy. And as easy as that, I could have been teaching false doctrine like so many in our world today. So, main point of last week's message, church, we need to be careful at how quickly we are to speak things about Scripture without looking at the whole counsel of God. And I, the Bible says, the Bible says to me as your teacher that I really need to be especially careful on how I teach you the Bible because God says in his word that he holds me more accountable for what, you know, I teach you. I'm not just the one that's learning. I'm the one that's teaching you. I'm the one that's planting seed on your soil. So God says I need to be really careful because he's going to hold me to a higher accountability. So now I say this, one last, you know, kind of encouragement for us, one last kind of thrust to us. If we really love Christ... I'll say it again. If we really love Christ Jesus, then we want to make sure we don't add to the problems of the false doctrines and the fables that have made their way into the Christian churches in this in this whole world, especially in America. So if we love the Lord, stay away. Study your Bibles. Study your Bibles daily daily. To learn the truths of God and just don't get caught up and just believe in what I say or what anybody says. Go and if you hear something, and, and look it up. You know, because I'm just a man too and I still make mistakes. And mine was just a mistake and I apologize for that. But false doctrine, that's how it gets in. Whether by mistake or whether by will, people are doing that and, and it's getting in. And there's lots of false doctrine and fables in the church. So anyway, that's my thoughts from last week's message. Um, if you guys want to read with me, 1 Timothy uh, 1 8 through 15. We're going to read it real quick. The title of today's message is Who Are You Counting On to Save You? Who are you counting on to save you? 1 Timothy 1 8 through 15. Paul goes on to say But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, he goes on, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers. For fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. What is Timothy saying? What is Paul saying to Timothy here? Well, last week, as I said earlier, we looked at how. All the follow- We looked at all the false teachings or some of the main false teachings and false fables that had crept into the early church as well is in, that are ones that are infiltrating our church even this day, even today. And I made several points. I made a couple points and I said these points. I said that this week we were going to look at one of the biggest false teachings that there was and still is, uh, that someone can find salvation or righteousness through the law of God but that I told you also that the Bible in Timothy or the Bible in Paul said there's no righteousness or salvation found according to the law. I said that one thing. And I also said that Paul was going to address it in this week's message, in this week's sermon, in this week's set of verses. So let's look at our scripture in depth and see what these things that I said, how they come to life. First off, look again real quick and see, just for a quick point, on verse 8, let's see what Paul says to us here about the law, verse 8 again. He says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So the law used the law used, good is is only used it's only good if it's used lawfully. Well, the opposite is also true. If the law is only good if used lawfully, then that means that if it's used unlawfully, it can be bad or it can be evil. The law being used unlawfully is bad or can be evil or is evil, I should say. Did you get that? The law Being used in a wrong way or unlawfully is bad or evil. Wow. So then, what then does it mean? And here's where we're going to spend the most of our time in our sermon today. What does it mean to use the law unlawfully? To use it in a way against the way which Paul speaks of in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Knowing this, the first part of verse 9, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Did you see that? The law, if used on a righteous person, is unlawful. That's where it becomes bad or evil. If you try to use the law against a a righteous person. So did you catch there, just curious, did you catch there that the law is unlawful and evil if used on a righteous person. Did you catch how Paul just said that a person's righteousness or salvation was not attained or gotten or even kept by the law of God? Because I told you that the Bible was going to say, we were going to learn that Paul in the Bible said that there was no righteousness or salvation attained according to the law of God. Paul just said it. Did you catch it? If you didn't, I'm going to explain. The uh, the unlawful use of the law was to use it on a righteous person, right? That's what Paul just said. Unlawful to use the law against a righteous person. Now, if the law brought righteousness or salvation or even kept people righteous, then how could a person be righteous apart From the law, because Paul just did say the law not made for a righteous person. Notice the person was righteous apart from or not by the law, because if they were made righteous by the law, then Paul wouldn't have said that the law wasn't made for the righteous person, therefore, the person was righteous before or outside or apart from the law. okay? The statement of Paul's tells me that there's some other way outside or apart from the law that makes a person righteous or saved. Well, that is correct, and I am right. I'll show you why the Bible says that, but that's a correct statement because the Bible says, as I said last week, that there's no righteousness that anyone can be can attain or no salvation that anyone can attain by the keeping of the law so there's some other way where does the bible say this and <clears throat> excuse me how do the how do people get saved and become righteous before god if not through the law well we'll get to that in some time but before we do i need to cover the basics of the law this is pretty neat god taught me something this week and it's all new i've known this before that depending on which rabbinic person that you look at of the past, that they either come up with 613 or 623 laws that would be including the Ten Commandments. So these, the, the law of God consisted in the Old Testament of a list of in between anywhere between 613 and 623 total laws that would be including commandments that God gave through Moses to the children of Israel or the Jews to follow back in the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So there were five books called the law. It's called the Torah. And that was where God gave the law to Moses, you know, to give to the Israelites. To sum up the whole of the law. Like, can we just, in all 623, what can we say about the law? How can we sum it up? Here's how you sum it up. The law would be considered the do's and the don'ts of what God expected His kids or the Jews to follow, or to keep as both a moral and a holy code of ethics. If you're concerned about or interested in the breakdown of the law, it's really interesting. They actually have a breakdown. I found there's lots of websites actually out there. The one that I found is there's a breakdown. Um, <clears throat> the breakdown is goes like this: the don'ts. So, you know, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that. And God says, do not do this. And God says, do not do that. Is about 365. And the one website I went on was like, yes, God gave a don't for every day of the year. Or, yeah, because there's you know, 365 days a year. But yet they didn't have that calendar back then. So that was, they were kind of fast forwarding it to today. So these would be 365 laws concerning sin. In what God didn't want you to do and how he didn't want you to live. Do not steal. Do not this. Do not that. Guy, God say, be holy. Don't do this. Okay? We'll talk about some of those in a little bit. The do's, things that God said I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live, my child. Here's the holy ways in which I want the priests to do the sacrifices and so on and so forth. 248 laws. Concerning the do's. So 365 don'ts and 248 do's. So a big footnote here. None of the law that we ever read about. You, if you go through all the five books of the Old Testament, all the way in Genesis, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you, you will never find this. God never said, I give you these laws. You know, I give you these do's and I give you these don'ts so that you would attain or you would get righteous before me by the keeping of these laws. The Bible says that the, the law was really a simple moral code, spiritual and physical, to, that God gave for an order for people, his children to live by. So if God were speaking about the law, he would say this. He would say something like this. I saved you, Israel, out of the children of Egypt. I saved you, Christians. Now, follow me in these ways and, you know, of course, keep away from X, Y, Z sins. That'd be kind of a one short sentence from God on what the law really was. Okay? Back to our scripture. Now, as Paul just said in the first part of verse 9, law of God was not made for righteous person. Uh, which part of the law was he talking about? Was he talking about the do's or was he talking about the don'ts? We'll see that in a moment. Anyway, he just said, for the law uh, was not made for a righteous person. So if the law not made for a righteous person, who was it made for? The law. Who was the law not made for? Look at the rest of verse 9 all the way to 11. Not made for a righteous righteous person, but for the lawless, insubordinate, the ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane, murderers, Murders of fathers, murders of mothers, uh, and, uh, and manslayers for fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and if there's any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, it's against those people too. Well, what, 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 well, first of all, what part of the law do you think he was talking about here? What part of the law was not meant for the righteous person or for any person for that matter at all? The laws of the don'ts. Because the Bible says don't murder, don't do this, don't murder your mother, don't murder your father, don't do not do this, don't, don't fornicate, don't do this, don't do that. So the part of the law via context here that Paul is specifically talking about in this section is the law of the don'ts, the 365 laws that pertain to the do nots that God gave. But summing up basically what God said here, who the law of the don'ts was for... The law of the don'ts was for those that were sinning, those that were practicing sin, those that got caught up in living unholy and unrighteous lives because the Bible says that someone that practices sin is not righteous before God. They they are unrighteous before God, and someone that practices sin, the Bible says, is not saved. Now, you may be saying, you may be thinking to yourself, Well, did you not say, Pastor Ed, that the law doesn't bring salvation to anybody? And I would say, yes, I did say that. Now you may be saying, if the don'ts of the law, also considered the laws concerning sin, are good to use on an unsaved person or practicing sinner, doesn't that mean that the law brings them salvation, causing salvation to come by the law? Which is exactly what you said is not what the Bible says. And my short answer would be capital N-O. But nevertheless, it's a good question, so let me explain why not. That is correct. The law does not bring someone salvation. Even though an unsaved person, it's good to use the law on them. To show them, hey, man, the God, God says you're not supposed to steal. God says you're not supposed to do this. God says you're not supposed to do that. But nevertheless, that still doesn't bring salvation to people. And my answer is, that's right, that's no. It does not, but let me explain. But not with my short answer, no, because that's not an enough explanation. Let me explain with Paul's long answer. You see, the topic of what part of the law was salvation or what purpose or what what you know what part of the law of God plays in salvation or what part the law plays in salvation if any is was and I think will always be a difficult one it always was it was difficult back in before Paul it was difficult in Paul's day and it's difficult for people now but there's one good thing about the law being a difficult topic that's good in my eyes that I see. Here's what the good thing about it is back for when Paul was alive, okay? Because it was a difficult situation and subject for Paul, he wrote about it extensively in the New Testament in the New Testament and about its real purpose. Because it being a real problem, you know that old saying, The squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Well, if a problem is big enough, it's going to get a lot of grease. It's going to get a lot of fixing. It's going to get a lot of commentary. So the law, people trying to attain salvation through the law was a big problem. So Paul gave it a lot of words. He gave it a lot of writings. And one of the clearest writings he wrote against the idea of salvation coming through the don'ts of the law of God or the law concerning sin was written to Christians in the church of Galatia. He writes about it in Galatians 3, 19 through 24. So I'm going to read this section of scripture and we're going to learn what Paul, what the real purpose of the law, what, what the law was really all about. So if you're going to turn to Galatians 3, 19 through 24, great, do it. If not, you can listen to me and I'm going to teach along as we go. Galatians 3, 19 through 24, Paul says, he starts out, what purpose then does the law serve? What did I tell you? The law was a problem. Paul said, I got to write a lot about the law because the law is a problem. People think they can get saved by it. So what is the purpose of the law, he says? And he goes on to say it was added because of transgressions or it was added because of sin. You see, God had to add it because people were sinning. So, people sinned, people did this, people did that, people broke God's laws, or people broke the things that God hated, and God said, I hate those things, i got to let people know I hate those things. God added it because people sinned. He says, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate, mediate for only one, but God is one. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not talking about the promise of salvation is the law then against the promises of God so the law is not against God's purpose and promise of salvation he says, he says certainly not he says for if there had been a law given which could have given life which would be righteousness and salvation he says truly righteousness would have been by the law so can there be salvation according to the law I told you the Bible says no well look for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So obviously there's not, because he just said that there's not. But he goes, he says this. But the scripture is confirmed all under sin. So we're all sinners. We're all guilty. He goes that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ, but that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came. We were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Verse 24, therefore, the law was our tutor. Here's the real purpose of the law. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. Notice we're not justified by the law. We're justified by faith. Not the law. Verse 25, but after faith has come, we are no no longer under a tutor. Now that salvation has come, the tutor is still just the tutor, and it's meant for those, again, as Paul said here, the ones that aren't living for God, the ones that are not having faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, Paul couldn't have made that any simpler. He said there, there's no salvation. You cannot gain righteousness, or you cannot attain, excuse me, righteousness according or through the don'ts of the law. Period. The end. Keep them all, or keep the law as much as you can, you won't find salvation by the law. According to uh, Paul, the law concerning sin or the don'ts of the law were simply added to show people that they are sinners and that they cannot or can never attain righteousness or salvation through the law. And that the don'ts of the law were meant to bring people to Christ, the Savior, for our salvation. And I will talk on that toward the end of the message. But just to give you an illustration, God kind of showed me this this week, just to give you an illustration so you can wrap your mind around what salvation or righteousness through the don'ts of the law would look like if it were possible. I want to give you some, you know, some idea. I want to show you what, you know, some of the things and what the Bible says. And we can look at our lives and we can see how there's no salvation by the do nots of the law at all. For salvation, listen to this, for salvation or righteousness to be found through the law, Or the don'ts of the law, you could say, a person would have to. So you, you are who are listening, if you want to find your salvation or your righteousness before God through the do nots of the law, the do not steals, the do not lies, the do not this, then here's what you'd have to do. You'd have to keep all of the 365 don'ts of the written law for salvation, Without breaking one ever, from your birth to your death, you can't break one of the 365 written laws from birth to death. On top of that, don't know how many of them have a heart of the law, but then Jesus came along and is teaching right on the mount. You know, on, on the teachings on the mountain and is teaching his ministry, and he gave another level to the law you know god said things like don't commit adultery and don't murder and yeah you know we may not be able to i may not ever cheat on my wife awesome and i may not ever physically murder somebody but then jesus comes along and he says well wait a minute you guys think you've gotten the righteousness according to the law but guess what even if you look at a woman to lust after at her so jesus said you didn't have to commit the adultery you just had to look at a woman to lust after her. And he goes, and you're still guilty of adultery. And he says, he goes on to say, and don't think, I, I just said in my Old Testament word, don't murder. He goes, even if you hate somebody for no reason, God considers that murder too. So God, Jesus brought an extra dimension to the written law. And he said, just the written, that's not enough. There's a heart of the law And even if you think these evil things, God still sees it as sin, as the same, in fact, as if you do it. So, how hard would it be for us to not think of, not lust after, and not do, and not break any or all of the 365 laws that God gave for the don'ts? Think about it like this. God said things like, just a few other big ones, Don't steal. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't have other gods before me. Don't commit adultery, including looking to lust. Don't commit fornication. Don't murder, including in your heart, you know, not hating somebody without a cause. Don't bear false witness against another. That's including gossip. Don't curse your parents. That would be speaking evil of or to them. Again, that was just eight out of the, you know, 365 that you'd still have to keep 357 more in order to be righteous before God and not break one from birth to death. So let's get out our microscopes. I want us all to look through this microscope. And I want us to look at what this actually looks at, looks like. Like, you know, what they say, the old phrase, where the rubber meets the road. I want us to look at some of these instances where the rubber really meets the road. And I want to talk about our lives in our lives and in people's lives what this actually looks like in people's lives now since it's from birth to death that we can't break one of these 365 laws I thought it apropos to start out with children let's look at children first of all against these laws that although God sees children as innocent and if children were to die before their age of accountability they still go to heaven that still doesn't discount the fact that we're all sinners even as children they're just forgiven until they understand what they're doing So let's look at children for just a moment. What child have you ever known that doesn't, now think about this, from baby to teen, as a child curse or speak badly about his mother or his father? Now I'm talking about even into the teen years now. Come on now. Get your microscope out. Look at children. Can you think of a child not speaking terribly about their mother or their father all the way through their teen years i ain't gonna happen it ain't gonna happen now how about children not lying Ooh, you know mom dad catches them in something and, i i didn't do that now boy that's a guilty how about a child not stealing? Oh, man, I, I mean, I knew I stole like crazy when I was a kid. Eh, guilty. Wow, not to, men, not to mention all the hormones that start raging in those teen years, right? When all those teen kids, boys and girls, start lusting after one another. And then, you know, sadly, in our country of America, a lot of teens, many even well pregnant before they're even 12 and 13 and 14 years old. And so we got even that aspect of it. Guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. The law finds kids guilty of breaking them. But every person would be breaking at least one of these laws right here, if you ask me. But if you're a skeptic and you say, well, children are innocent. You know, children, you know, they are innocent. You know, they were yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, okay, skeptic. Let's move on to when these children, we grow up to be, you know, men and women. Let's look at the sins of men under our microscope. Imagine a man never leaving lusting after another woman. Okay, that is not ever 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 going to ever not be a problem for every man that i know including myself it's a problem for me today i've got to fight it in god every day i don't want to do it and sometimes i still slip and i'm still guilty guilty the law finds men guilty even if that were just the one but then way that's forget about it there's lots more um think about this what man have you ever not known that hasn't ever coveted his neighbor's power tools. Oh, that good Bosch power tool. That, that old DeWalt. Man, I love that. Ooh, look at that DeWalt. Right? The men with their power tools. How about the men, with, especially in the South, with their really powerful, big old big old uh, romping through the stomping forest with their big old pickup trucks with their mud and tires. Oh, man. I love that, boy. I love that. that. That's guys for you. And then how about those awesome looking cool sports cars? And guys, oh, man. What I would do to get one of those sports cars, Men, guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Lust. Right? Desire for other people's stuff. Covetousness. Men, guilty. But we can't leave women out of the picture. What women have you ever met that's never bore false witness against another, and that would be including gossip. Now, I know, as my wife pointed out to me last night, I know that gossip, that men gossip too, but it's a, it's a more than well-proven fact that practically every woman on the face of the planet has gossiped about someone else, and we know that gossip is not always the truth. That's how lots of lies get started. So, bam, women guilty, and then how about coveting their neighbor ladies you know nice cars or their neighbor ladies' nice jewelry or their nice rings or their nice you know little uh, little bro- lockets and stuff, and the pretty hair, and you know, and so we, we see that easily again. Guilty. Guilty as children, the law says. Guilty as men as adults, guilty. Guilty as women as adults. We can't even escape it. It's just our human nature even children as innocent as children are they steal because they just want it they know it's wrong in their hearts i knew it was wrong when i was a kid and i stole anyway i wasn't even a christian i just you know i just stole but my i i even know little christian boys that have stolen and and they even love the lord and they've still stolen and so the law finds us guilty and in fact i don't know about you. But I don't know one normal person that's ever lived on the face of the planet that's ever not broken all of those laws that we just covered hundreds if not thousands of times on each law. So the law, as Paul said, finds us guilty. And if you're doing the figuring out in your head, you can figure out pretty quickly that Trying to be saved or get righteous before God by the keeping of the law concerning sin or the don'ts of the law is the lost cause. What we find is when we look to our for our righteousness and the don'ts of the law, we find our goose is cooked. We're all guilty. We've all stolen. We've all lied. We've all, you know, gossiped. We've all coveted for each other's stuff. We've all, you know... Done evil and lied and done all these evil things. We've all done them. So pretty simple. No one, whether man, woman, or child, can be saved through the don'ts of the law of God. period, the end, the law finds all guilty. Romans six twenty three tells us that the wages of sin is death, which is eternal separation from God for eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when you break the law of God, that's called sin. So we're all guilty and we're all, you know, we're all guilty of sin. And so therefore all of our wages are, are what we deserve for our sin is death or eternal separation from God forever. So it's pretty clear just why Paul said in Galatians 3.24 that the don'ts of the law were just a tutor Simply show people that they were sinners and give them, and leave, you know, give them, you know, uh, wow, I can't make it on my own, I can't make it according to the law. I, I, I want to be saved though, what do I do? And then it leads us to the one who did live a perfect life. Jesus Christ did keep all the 613 to 623 laws without breaking one ever, without mentally breaking one, without physically breaking one. He did do those things. And so therefore, salvation, because he died in our place on the cross, can be found in him and only him, because he did uh, satisfy this law. This brutal, brutal, brutal law that confines all us normal people guilty, guilty, guilty as charged. So I can see clearly why there's no salvation according to the don'ts of the law. But what about you know, we could see that there's no salvation according to the don'ts of the law. What about salvation maybe according to the do's of the law? Maybe I can do enough. Maybe I can do all those things that God said in his law. You know, that, I think it was 265, if I'm not mistaken. That could be wrong. It's been a while and I don't have a note in front of me. But what if we could do, what if we could find salvation and righteousness by the do's? I mean, that is what almost every world religion teaches. Did you know that? I'm going to just show you four here of one where actually, well, you'll know easily it's Judaism. But I'm going to show you four here, and you could see easily that that is what four of the top major world religions, that's what they believe, Islam. In Islam, we have the five pillars of Islam, and these are the framework of... This is according to Islamic sites and Islamic studies, you know that I've, I, I looked at. the five pillars of Islam are the framework of the Muslim life. And they are, number one, the testimony of faith. they got to have that. They got to two, they got to pray. they got to pray five times a day. Notice all the do. Number three, they got to give zakat, or it's support for the needy. That means they got to help people out that are needy. Number four, they got to fast during the month of Ramadan. So they got to not eat from like sun up to sundown every day and only eat after sundown. And five, they got to make a pilgrimage to Mecca or uh, once in a lifetime if they're able. So there's four things that they must do in order to what? It's a framework of the Muslim life. These are considered mandatory. Listen to this. Mandatory by believers of both the Shia and Sunni. And they both agree. There's differences in their faiths and their religion. But they both agree on these essential details. They believe that you must perform and practice these acts in your Muslim life. And self-purification. I.e., what is self-purification? Salvation. Salvation. I'm gonna find my righteousness <clears throat> if I pray five times a day, if I make that Mecca, to, or if I make that, you know, that journey, if I if I give to the poor and needy, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, I'll be self-purified. I'll be a holy guy. What is that? That's works unto salvation. If we look at Hinduism, we look at the whole idea of karma and reincarnation, and then it's what? That's the good or bad ways in which I live. If I live a really, really, really good and righteous and holy life, works, good works, good work, do good things and give to people and, and help people out and, and you know, <clears throat> all this good stuff. Then what happens is, is their teachings teach them that by good karma, they'll get good reincarnation. They'll be able to be reincarnated to a higher state of life, and then eventually if they do enough good things and they live enough good lives, they'll get to nirvana or para nirvana. What is that? That's like their heaven. So if they do good things and they live good ways in their lives, they'll be reincarnated to a higher state in life, and then they'll get to what? They'll get to their type of heaven. But if they do bad things in life, and if they don't live by the laws, and if they do terrible things, Then their teachings teach them that they'll be, that as they reincarnate, they'll reincarnate to a lower state, a lower state, a lower state, a lower state. Until, if I'm not mistaken, they can actually become like animals. Like literally, they'll be reincarnated into animals. So there, what do we find there? We find a work salvation. We got Judaism, which is the, which is the religion that Jesus came into. And they got the 613 to 623 laws. And the Jews of Jesus' day thought that they found righteousness according to the do's and the don'ts of the law. What is it? It's a works salvation. And the last big one, one of the major last big ones, is Catholicism. Okay? Catholicism, right from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, part three, Life in Christ, Section 1, Man's Vocation, Life in the Spirit, Chapter 3, God's Salvation, Law and Grace. Notice they put on there, Law and Grace. Now I'm reading to you right from the Catholic Catechism. Catholic Church, Part 3. Article, and you can look this up for yourself, 1987. The very first thing said in this section of Article 1987 is this. Verbatim copied every word, the grace of the Holy Spirit has the power to justify us. And that would be good if they left it there, but listen as it goes on. That is, to cleanse us from our sins and to communicate to us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if they would have stopped there, that would have been almost perfect on on as far as the real salvation, how people really find salvation in God. God's grace. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But then they add and through baptism. And what is that? What is baptism? Well, that's a work. I have to be baptized in this faith so that I can be saved. So what do we find? That the grace of God is not enough, but that I must be baptized. I must have a work which makes then this... A works salvation i can work my way to salvation in god in the in in really in the grand scheme of things according to the roman according to according to roman catholicism salvation is a process of many steps actual grace faith good works baptism and participation in the sacraments penitence Or or penance, excuse me, indulgences, and the keeping of the commandments. Basically, salvation, according to the Catholic Church, is attained through baptism and good works. It is maintained by works and its participation in the sacraments. Now, those are just the major four. I could go on all day telling you about the world's religions that make salvation by the doing of the good works of the law. Or the do's of the good things that God told them to do. God told people to do. But the fact is this. Every major world religion has good and godly works and keeping of the dues of God's law at the center of their faith. And it's how they teach people how to attain righteousness or eternal salvation so that they can go to heaven. And if you ask most people, because I have thousands of, I've asked this question too, and the majority has been this: If you ask people, when you die, would you go? Are you going to go to heaven or hell? They'll tell you heaven, <clears throat> and then you'll say, "Well, why? Why are you going to heaven?" I'll say, "Well, because I'm a good person, and I've done good works, and I've done good things." Well, what does that translate out to? That translates out to. I'm doing the righteous things that God wanted me to do. Therefore, since I'm doing the things that God told me to do, God will save me. Wow. And people just don't believe certain things unless they're taught them by someone, which as we already learned that most of the, that all of the religions teach works as a way to salvation as those four major ones is as they all do. So people aren't just believing this because they you know don't hear it from anybody. No, they're hearing it from the people that are their religious leaders and whatever religion that they're in. But does the Bible teach <clears throat> that a person can be saved by the dues of God's law or the keeping them and doing them? How are we kept by God? How do we attain salvation according to what the Bible says? Well, again... Bible says salvation and righteousness according to the law was a problem for the early church. So Paul wrote extensively about it. So he writes again on it in Romans 3, 19 and 20. And he covers both the salvation by righteousness, or I'm sorry, he covers both the law, the salvation by the do's and the don'ts, both in this one section. He writes in Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. It almost kind of sounds like what we just read here. There's no salvation by the law. When you look at the don'ts of the law, you're guilty. Because that's the don'ts. All the don'ts of the law, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not do this. Boom, you're guilty. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And your condemnation is just because you're guilty. And you're going to hell. That's what the law says. But he goes on in verse 20. He says, Therefore... By the deeds of the law, talking about the dues of the law. So now I'm doing the things of the law. I'm doing the dues. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's not the only place. We go to Ephesians 2.8, where we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. So far, we haven't heard anything about the law. It is a gift of God. Now listen, verse 9, not of works, least anyone, should boast. So salvation is by grace, through faith. He says, not even of you, it's a gift of God, and it's not of any righteous works of the law. None. It's not by the don'ts. And it's not by the dues. Salvation is not attained or worked for, period, the end. But that's not all. We even go back to the Gospels. What did Jesus say? Did he say, come to me, all you who who uh, who labor and are heavy laden, uh, and I will give you, or did he, excuse me, did he say, come to the law or come to me through the law? and I will give you rest, I will give you salvation? No. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, what he said there really was all you who are working for your salvation, you're laboring real hard, and you know what? That's hard. And you know what? You're working hard for your salvation through the law, but you're not going to find it because as my... Child Paul said, as he's going to say, because Jesus was before Paul, you can't find your salvation according to the law. You'll only find condemnation. So no, according to the Bible, God's laws, whether it's the do's or it's the don'ts, can ever make us righteous or save from our sins before God and allow us to go to heaven. They just help us see that we're doomed because we can't ever keep the law we can't ever keep them all the they lead us the end they, they bring us to the end of ourselves i can try every day to never think a bad thought i could try all day long never to sin never to do this never to do that and i'm still once in my life i'm gonna break at least one law and so the law was just a tutor hey since you can't do that hey here's jesus though he did that Jesus Jesus alone, he's the one that did that. Here's where you find salvation. And since the do's and the don'ts of God's law can't get anyone saved and righteous and, and, and find salvation before God, and salvation's only found in Jesus Christ, according to Paul, according to Jesus, how does a person become righteous in Christ? How does a f- person become saved in Christ according to God, according to the Bible, according to him? The Bible says that true salvation and righteousness comes by God's grace, as I just said, through our faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, and His finished work on the cross. Remember that first part in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And And since that is the fact that makes a total amount of your salvation, of the do's and the don'ts, Of God's law, zero. You can't do a thing to get saved. You can't live righteous enough. You can't keep enough of God's law to be saved. You can't do enough good works, according to God, to be saved. So your total amount of what you put into your own salvation, according to the law of God, is zero in order to be saved. Now, that's all good for getting saved and getting righteous before God. Hey, that's easy. Jesus Christ, right? Getting saved. How do we keep ourselves in the grace of God? How do we keep ourselves in salvation? 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father, of Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice it's all about Jesus so far. To an inheritance incorruptible and the father that does not fade away, reserved in you are reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. So we're not even working in our lives as Christians, if we've gotten saved, to be saved, the Bible says, because we can't even work the good works of the law in order to keep being saved. <clears throat> we're kept by God's power. Through our faith unto salvation. Not by our good works. And not by our own righteousness. It doesn't change. God's power through our continued total faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one gospel that brings salvation to humanity. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life, His death, and His resurrection. And you're putting your total faith in Jesus. Him. So the one million dollar question for us all today is this. As the title of the sermon said, who are you counting on to save you? Again, who are you counting on to save you? Religion or Jesus Christ? The Bible says that when we die, we're all going to stand before God in judgment. Why? Because He's going to judge us. We'll all be there. God's going to judge everybody. He'll only find some written in the book of life. The others who He doesn't find written in the book of life will be thrown into the pit. He gathers them up and throws them in the pit. And only those that are found written in the Lamb's book of life are those that are saved. Now, if you stand there and you lived your life trusting in your good religious works, in your good religious duties, what do you think you're going to find? Well, Paul said, you'll find condemnation. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Not, come to the law. So, what you'll find before God when you stand there on judgment day, if you come and spending your whole life trusting in religion or its duties, <clears throat> or your or your good life, or your five times a day in prayer, or your rosary, or your penance, or whatever else of the other 623 laws you were able to keep. <clears throat> God just doesn't look at the ones that you were able to keep. If you come and you stand before God on your righteousness that you think you attained by the law, God will say, yeah, I see the few things here, but what about all these times that you broke my law? What about all these times that you lied here? Oh, look at all these things. People have said, evangelists have said, when you go to hell or when you stand before God in judgment day, there'll be like a big TV screen you'll be able to see and God's going to play your whole life up before you. I don't know if that's the case. I do know this, that God has a book that everything that we've ever done, if we're not written in the Lamb's book of life, there's another book. And that everything we've ever done in our lives is written in that book. So that means every sin you've ever committed is written in that book. And God's going to see it. And I don't know if he's going to read it to us or what, but all I know is he'll say this. Looks like here you trusted in your religious works. While wow, you did a lot of those. But look here. Look at all these sins. You're not covered because the, my word says, even if you break one law, the wages for that sin is death. And since you even just broke one, you can't stay here. Because you're dirty and I'm clean and I'm righteous and I must judge sin. And so then he's going to take you and he's going to throw you in the pit forever because you trusted in religion and religious works and you thought you did enough good and you thought you stayed away from enough bad. I've actually talked to Muslims even who believe that there's a scale. That your good works and your bad works are all put on the scale. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, then God will... Allah will let you into heaven, uh, unless He's having a bad day, I've heard from some. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, even if you sin once, condemnation is due to you if you don't, or if you put your trust in your own righteousness and the righteousness that you attained through the law. Because there is none. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't. Once we look at the law like we did today under our microscope, we see easily that if we put our trust in religion or religious duties as a way to feel good before God or a way to be saved, then God says, you're going to be condemned for the wages of sin is death. And you're done. And you'll end up going to hell no matter how righteous of a life you lived, no matter how many good things you did, no matter how much you did to help people, no matter how many of the don'ts you stayed away from. If you put your faith in religion, your end will be condemnation. But now, if you stand at this judgment, and you, in your life, you lived a life trusting totally in Jesus Christ and Him alone, then what will happen is, as you stand before God, He'll open up that Lamb's Book of Life and He'll search for your name there first. And when He finds it, once he finds it, once he sees, oh, this guy or girl or child lived a life trusting in Jesus Christ and his salvation and his, and his work on the cross and what he did for you. Come on in, my child. Maybe some unrighteous will be standing there, but wait a minute. What, what about their unrighteous deeds? Oh, and God will say, but wait, they trusted in me to save them. They knew that they weren't righteous. They knew that they couldn't attain salvation by the work of the law. They knew that they couldn't keep away from enough sin. They knew it. Look, they look at once they found me, their sin, it lessened. Wow, look at that. That's awesome. But you know what? That's not still what they trusted in. They still trusted in me. Then they just started doing the things I said. So then when they trusted me, I saved them. Because I saw that they said they need me. And they said, I'm not good enough on my own. I can't be saved according to the law. I can't be. I need Jesus. I need God. God saved me because I'm on my way to hell. And then God says, because they needed me and they cried out to me, then I'll, then I'll save them. And then they didn't trust in their works And they didn't trust in their law, and they were my law. They didn't trust in their righteousness for salvation. They trusted in me. And then they relied on me for everything, for the rest of their life. They followed what my son said. My son said in John 14, 6, that he was the way and the truth and the life, and that no man could come to me except through him. When Jesus said, no man can come to the Father except by me, that included, you can't come to the Father through your good works. That means that you can't come to the Father for eternal life through the keeping of the law. That that's not where you can get saved. That there you'll only find condemnation. But in Christ, you'll find eternal life. And that's a free gift that you cannot work for. So I ask you again, who do you trust in to save you? Is it Jesus Christ alone for everything for your eternal life? Or is it the law? Is it the good works? Is it the keeping of the law? Which is it? As I said earlier, Paul alluded here, that the fact that there was a way outside, or a, that, that Paul alluded to, there was a, a, another way that got us saved, and it wasn't the law. Right here in our own text, First Timothy. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, because there's another way to get righteous. The Bible says that if you're covered by the blood of Christ, because that means you put your trust in Him fully, that God doesn't see you as a sinner anymore or hold you accountable for your sins anymore, that you are forgiven. And once you're forgiven, you're no longer under the law to bring you to Christ because you're already there. So today, who are you trusting in for your salvation? Jesus Christ or the law? If it's not Jesus Christ alone, then would you turn to Him today? Would you cry out to him and say, Jesus, I need you. I can't live without you. Jesus, I need you. Save me, Jesus. And will you do as he said? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My child, son or daughter, whoever you are out there listening, He wants you to come to Him and come to Him and Him alone. You've been working hard, baby, for a long time, but He didn't say come through the law to come to me. He said, come to me, all you who are working really hard, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest today. He wants you to find your righteousness in Him and Him alone and not through the good works of the law. So God beckons you through me please come, totally cry out to God today and tell Him you're unrighteous. Show Tell Him you're a sinner. Ask Him to forgive you and then surrender your life to Him and put your trust totally in Him for everything and not upon the law or your righteous deeds. Those will all come, the Bible says. After you're in Christ and He changes you and He saves you, then you have a desire to do the works of the law, but not for your salvation. Just because, wow, well, I love God now, and I just, wow, well, what do I do now for you, Lord? But it's never, ever, ever to keep the law to get saved. So please, if you're not there, surrender to Jesus. Seek Jesus, surrender to Jesus, fall on your knees and cry out to him and ask him to save you and stop working the law and the righteousness and the do's and the don'ts for your salvation. If you're already there, like I've been for a long time and God blessed me with this sermon because you know what, I had to re-realize that I'm not righteous even though I'm I do lots of righteous things, and since God saved me, I've become a very righteous person, but that my righteousness, even though all the righteousness that I've gotten, is not so I can stay saved. It's just because I love God, because we need to keep our priorities straight. If we get saved, or once we're saved, if we go fall back to the law, like the, whole, like the book of Galatians spoke about, then we're falling away from God's grace. And so, if you've turned to Him, and you are trusting in Him for everything totally, then don't ever make your, law, your life contingent upon which laws or which do's and which don'ts that you did or didn't keep because your sins are all forgiven you if you've turned to Christ. Just Live in grace and live in peace and let the works that God wants to do through you flow naturally, not be something that you have to force. God loves you so much and He wants you to either grow stronger in Him or come to Him for the first time. It's in your hands. God's given it up to you. I've told you the truth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for this message, Lord God, for what it did in my heart, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that it would do the same thing as it did in my heart to those that are believers, that are true believers out there that are listening to this message. I pray it would do the same thing in their hearts, Lord God. That they would stop putting their trust in their righteousness. Stop putting it, because that righteousness only came from you anyway, Lord. My righteousness that I have now only came from you anyway. I can't even take any credit for it. So Lord, I pray that they'd stop taking the credit for the righteousness that they have because it belongs to you. And they'd focus on your grace and loving you and 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 being making it all about Jesus. And Lord, for those out there that are listening, that have never returned to you, Jesus, or that are counting on their religious works, or that they think they're getting to heaven because they're a good person, or because, well, they followed their religion to the T, and and their religion says this, and they've done it, and then after that, when I get to heaven, God's going to judge me righteous. No! I pray, Lord God, that you show them they're wrong, that your word says it's only by Christ, and salvation in Him, and not by their works, not by the law, the do's or the don'ts, whatever amount they keep or didn't keep. It's not about that. Lord, help them to see that you're just plain sinners, just like me, and they need Christ. Help them to surrender to you and give their lives to you right now. I pray all these things, and I ask all these things, dear God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.